Breathing Space Fading Frontier contains adult language and situations, including alcohol use and romantic relationships. This episode includes grotesque depictions of body horror. Additional sensory contact warnings can be found in the show notes. I ain't got no home to go to, ain't got nothing to sell, but my stars will never leave me, even when I'm sold to hell. I was born under a blue sky, and I'll die out in the black. When I'm gone, don't no one mourn me, cause my debts will drag me back. Look, I don't know what Sammy told you, but I'm not looking for a new ship. Not... Not even if you're going to stake me to buy in. I don't care what you heard, or who you heard it from. I'm fine. Right. Here. Got no reason, nor want, to fly. <laughs> sure. That's what they all say, and ten minutes later they're pitching me how their boat is different. Their captain, their tip-off. Believe me, they aren't. Neither are yours. Now that's a new one. You work for who now? Exonic Farmer. They a belt company? <sighs> I've got less than no use for Terrence nor people that work for them neither. So why don't you... How much? What do I have to do? Just talk. <sighs> That's another one they all say. Oh, I get it now. You want the story of that run? The last one. Don't you? It'll take a damn sight more cash than you've got to get me to tell that. That's a year's rent on this rock. <sighs> okay. I'm going to that table there. Buy me a drink. The stronger, the better and get the funds transferred when they're in my account and the drinks in me. I'll tell you what you want to know. The entire story of the salvage of the Valentina Tereshkova. I was flying out of Chariklo then. I was based there for a few years. <laughs> Trash heap of a place, but cheap living. Was one of the hottest flyboys in the place. Normally had my pick of berths. I didn't have to sign on to the wasp lady. But Waldo had lost someone off their crew to one of the companies, and 
I was in a bit of a pinch. Otherwise, I'd never have taken the job. He was a friend from way back. Before he bought into his first ship when I was still with the hair of the tortoise. Did me a favor when we were both starting and... I owed him one. They were a first-rate outfit. One of the few from Chariclo I would fly with on purpose. Sally, the first mate, tracked me down at the port bar and sold me. Said they had a hot tip. Guaranteed payout. But they needed to fly out tomorrow. And Waldo asked for me special. Like I said, I owed him. Thought it was a stroke of good luck. I could pay the debt off and make bank. All on the same run. No better now. Waldo ran a pretty standard crew for a salvage operation. Him, Sally... Flora Palm, the mechanic Dyer who did the heavy lifting and could medic in a pinch, Baker, the numbers man, a spacer named Clark, who'd been with them a handful of years, then me to pilot, and a new hire, able-bodied Roberts, Robertson, something like that. was going to be an easy salvage run. Waldo told us we were after a derelict, a ship left to drift. Belonged to an earthy, he said, bit off more than he could chew doing space tours for other rich groundies. Hit mechanical trouble and bailed rather than trying to save the boat. Rich score, good materials and systems just needed someone who could pull him out and fix him. Not to mention all the stuff in the cabins. Set up for groundies, you know, it, it'd be full of all sorts of useless fluff. That'd sell for good money. Catch was that it was pretty deep in the black, way outside the normal lanes. That's why no one had gotten to it yet. It was a good three weeks trip to get there, then three weeks back. Not to mention whatever it'd take to strip the thing down. Meant packing a lot of supplies on board to get the crew there, breathing. Most of the crews decided it was too much risk. Spend all that cash to prep and maybe it turns out to be nothing much. But Waldo said the tip was good. He'd gotten them from the guy before and they'd always panned out. So there we were, flying straight out with only ourselves and the stars to keep us company. I wish I could say I saw what was coming. That the trip felt off somehow, like we were flying into trouble but it didn't. 
Really, it was the best time I'd had on the job in ages. Working with people who knew what they were doing took the job seriously, but not too much. Had the same game of five cards drift going the whole way out. There was a tidy handful of cash some of them would have owed me when we got back. <sighs> we hit the target coordinates 24 days in. Waldo's informant's information had been good. The ship was right there, and where he said it'd be. Way outside of any normal freight or passage lines, just hanging in the black, waiting for someone to come along and strip it down. I've seen derelicts before, they always look a little upsetting with all the lights off. No flicker or pulse of engines to let you know that someone's breathing in there. Seeming like they're quieter than even the dead silence of space. But the Tereshkova was strange, even for a drifter. It didn't just feel quiet, it felt dead. Dead and like it was looking at you, with the portholes staring right into us. We all picked up on it. Soon as we're there looking out the view screens at the thing, everyone got real quiet. Like we didn't want to say anything that might make it hear us. We stand there for a bit and Finally, Clark says, Some boat. In this voice that's all big and cheerful, but it sounds fake. It was an impressive ship. Big. Was supposed to have a crew of 15 and 20 passengers. All done up so they could sail the solar system in style. Huge holds to store all this fancy food. Booze. Anything you could want to have a really lush trip around old Sol before ending back in your cosy little house, dirt side. They'd even painted up the hull all shiny with the ship's name and a company logo about a hundred yards high all along the side. <laughs> now it was all dinged up from the space debris, but still just as bright as when it went on. Finally, Waldo turns to us and goes, Well, it ain't gonna break down itself. What are you waiting for? And we all scatter. Sally scanned the ship and it looked like her life support and Atmo were offline. But she couldn't see any damage. So first order of business was gonna be to get the O2 on job would go a lot faster if we didn't have to be in exosuits the whole time. So, first trip over was gonna be just Dyer and Flora to check for damage and 
say about getting the air breathable again. So they suit up and go exo and the rest of us sit around. Wait for them to check in and let us know what we're getting into. How rich we're going to be. Or if we wasted two months of our time for nothing. We're holding position pretty close to her, so it doesn't take long before they get over there and inside. Then a bit longer to get the Atmo controls. Flora tells us it doesn't look like anything's broken, just got shut down. She'll reboot, and we'll have breathing air in a couple of hours. If the two of them had just taken a look around, given the ship a walkthrough, if it had just been them that went over there, found everything, then it might not have gotten so bad. Or hell, if we'd just done everything suited and kept our helmets on. But no one likes to work in EXO. It's hot and uncomfortable and harder to move things. You'd rather have a little more risk than try to salvage in full suit. So, a couple hours later... Five of us are over there undogging our helmets and pulling off our gloves and breathing the recycled air that Flora had gotten circulating out of the Atmo systems. Which was probably when it all started to go wrong. I didn't notice anything when I first got on board. <laughs> Just a fancy ship that clearly had more money put into the trappings than the mechanisms. Half the time you couldn't tell it was a boat at all. Looked more like the pictures I've seen of those fancy Terran hotels. Where the guests would see at least. And behind the scenes they hadn't put in the same effort and it was just the same as any other ship of its class and size. Flora went down to the engine room to see what she could start stripping out. Baker headed for the commissary and purser's office, which left me, Clark, and Dyer to start offloading the holds. Had to walk through most of the ship to get there. The Tereshkova had been a freighter before she got turned into a cruise liner. She still had a freighter's bones. Which meant that on top of having holds down below, she had a few big central compartments. If she were still carrying cargo, they'd be full of the load the crew had to check. Anything fragile enough to need temperature regulation or feeding or that couldn't handle getting bounced around some. Now, they were big, fancy playrooms for the rich groundies, pretending they were space travellers. The first one was full up with games, gravity-dependent ones like pool and tri-darts, 
bunch of consoles, a few VR headsets. I remember telling Diet that we should grab them on the way out. They were worth a lot for how much space they took up. The second one would, with any sense, have been a mess hall set up for high, low, and no G. It was actually all full of tables and chairs. Most of them knocked over, and all of them very obviously not made for the ship's gravity changes. The guy who equipped the ship either hadn't known what he was doing or had decided that gravity would just never go out. Stupid, I thought. But they really liked it when their dinners floated away from their plates. But then we got to the third compartment. We went into the third compartment. <clears throat> You're Terran. Probably not much time on ships. Do you know what happens to a ship that's been floating in deep space? <laughs> yeah, most people think that. That it gets cold when you're drifting. And it does. Eventually. When the engines and life support die and there's enough time for the heat to get leached away, but at first it gets hot and it stays that way for a long time. That's why when we found... That's... That's why... The <laughs> In the third compartment, there were bodies. Frozen now. Thank God. Because if they hadn't been, they'd clearly started to rot. You could see how the skin had sagged and gotten bubbly. How the ones on top had started to melt into those underneath. Everything was blue and white and covered in ice crystals. But I thought I could smell it. The sick, 
putrid smell of human flesh breaking down. Daya threw up. I wanted to. Thought I would. But somehow managed to swallow everything back. Keep breathing. Remind myself there wasn't any smell. Couldn't be. Clark, she'd gone almost as white as the bodies. But she handled it the best of all of us. Stood there for a minute. Then started walking towards them. I'm pretty sure I yelled for her to keep back. That we didn't know what had happened, but she just shook her head. Something's weird, she said. And I'm thinking, no shit, something's weird. There's a pile of dead people in the ship that were supposed to be empty. She keeps going and she's standing right next to them, looking down and says, Dow, come here. Look at this. My legs started walking me over before I could stop them and I'm looking where she's pointing and... And she's right. It is weird. Like I said, there's a bunch of dead people who'd had a good long time to decompose before the ship got cold. But they're... They've got... Damage to them. Damage that wasn't just rot. Things that couldn't, wouldn't have just happened to their bodies. They had raw places like scrapes or burns. Big patches that would have been red and shiny if the bodies were fresh. One, a woman with this long blonde hair had a hole in her cheek, like someone had sanded completely through her skin. They all had places like that on their arms or necks or shoulders. And their hands. Their hands were the worst part. Every one of those hands, every finger was worn down. Some of them had no... Some of them just had no skin. Just had the fibres of the muscle showing. Some had the bones poking out, stark white against the blue-white of their skin. That was enough for me. I, I took off and didn't stop till I was back on the wasp lady. <sighs> Daya was the one who went through the whole ship. She was made of steel, that woman. 
The rest of them came back not long after me. But it took her almost three hours. Went through every compartment, every space. Took some videos. Said we wouldn't believe her if we didn't see it ourselves. And she was right. We, we probably wouldn't have. She said she thought she'd found 22 individuals, but she wasn't sure. Because some of the piles might have belonged to more than one person. She found more remains. People were tangled together with each other. The their fingers rubbed raw, skin missing from faces or hands or thighs or backs. The group we'd seen was the biggest, she'd said, but there were pairs or trios or quartets all around the ship. One couple had wedged themselves in the shower stall, she said, with a shiver. They'd I couldn't tell if her expression was embarrassed or disgusted. Well, you know what they were doing. He'd worn himself away there too. We didn't finish the salvage job. Waldo wanted us to, tried to get us to go back over to the Tereshkova, but all of us, even Sally, said no. Finally, he went over himself, saying we were cowards, and he intended to get the payout. When he came back, he was frozen white himself. He didn't ask us again. We didn't know what happened and we didn't know how to find out. Flora tried to offload the ship's records, but it was all wrapped up in the kind of encryption that it takes a boost at a breakthrough. We couldn't even access the passenger or crew manifests, which made us all more worried. Why would some tour ship lock itself down like that. Waldo got on the comm, tried to get more information, left half a dozen messages on his contact's comm dress. Even tried to get a hold of the cruise company who'd booked it. Nobody called back. This, this kind of thing happens. Not a lot, but it, it happens, uh, Ship gets lost, there's an accident, something happens out in space, and people know, because people made it happen. Made some little problems disappear into the black, and if someone finds it out there, a free hauler or a salvager or some asteroid miner looking for a score, they take one look, they stop turn around and fly away and they never 
talk about it to anyone if they're smart. So that's what we did. Turned around and headed back. Started the month-long flight back to inhabited space with nothing to show for it. But at least no one looking to disappear us as a problem. Pissed and moaned and swore at Waldo for dragging us out here and deep into someone else's shit, but figuring at least we could put it all behind us get back to the business of finding another way to bring in the credit. We thought that we left everything behind with the bodies on the Tereshkova. We were wrong. It started with Clark first. We'd been on our way back in for about a week and we'd all basically silently agreed we wouldn't talk about what we'd seen. We just let whatever happened stay inside the Tereshkova's hull. I was in the mess hall trying to make reconstituted freeze-dried taste like something other than damp sawdust. When he came in with this really off look on his face, running his hands over the front of his jumpsuit. Me and Clark never really got on. Didn't hate each other. He wasn't a pain to fly with or anything. We just weren't going to be anything more than crewmates. So it was weird to me when he came over and weirder when he ran a hand through my hair. I swore at him and jumped away. Then he's looking at me all hurt and saying, I, I just wanted to see how good it felt and reaching out for me again. And I hit his hands and I tell him to screw off and he, he does. But as he goes, those hands stretch out again like they're doing it by themselves and run over the plasma wall and the metal grate over the liquid disposal chute. I was going to tell Dyer about what happened, that maybe Clark had gone a little stir-crazy or something, but it, it felt too much like complaining. I'm not a complainer, never have been. Take what comes and deal with it, and move on. It's how I'd gotten by on every other run, and how I'd get by in that one, I thought. So I decide I'll just stay out of Clark's way. A little rough on a ship the size of the Wasp Lady, but still doable if we're mid-trip. And for another couple of days, everything's fine. Then Flora asks me if I want to get in on another game of drift. I figure it's time to win some more of everyone's creds, so I opt in. 
except when we start to play, people are jumpy. But Baker had this tell before where his eye would twitch if he was bluffing. I lose a couple of hands thinking he doesn't have the cards before I realize he's he's just twitching now. All the time. His hands coming up to the back of his neck. Touching it like he's got an itch to scratch except he just runs his fingers over it. Up, rub, twitch, jerk away, hands down. Up, rub, twitch, jerk away, down. Over and over, the, the back of his neck's all red like he's been doing it for hours. It's hard not to stare. Still, I try to focus on my cards. I play to win, but then Flora deals them again, and I notice my hands got these smudges on the corners. Red fingerprints. So I look at Flora. She's shoved her sleeve up and running her fingers over her arm. The hand that isn't holding her cards and her arm's got this big raw place on it and her fingers have gotten bloody and the blood's on the cards so I, I yell at her. I throw the cards down, grab her hand and I look at it. And when I touch her, she shivers not like she's in pain. She shivers like it's the best thing she's ever felt. Like she's getting hot just from me touching her fingers. She wriggles her hand in my grip and starts to run those bloody fingers over me and all I can think about is those bodies on the Tereshkova with the bones of their hands sticking out through, through worn away flesh and I yell again and shove her off. Then she comes after me, throws herself at me like she needs me to touch her again, like she wants to cover me with bloody fingerprints, wear my skin away touching it. So I jerk back and away and put a chair between me and her. And she sighs and sort of slouches. But then Dyer's touching her instead, his palms on the sides of her face. And she's got those burned-looking hands on his arms instead and is rubbing them up and down. Both of them look like they're fucking, like it's the best fuck they've ever had, but even while I'm watching, one of Dyer's fingers scrapes a line down Flora's face and she throws her head back and I can't take it. So I run. I locked myself in the bunk room and got Waldo on the con. He doesn't answer right away and when he does he's sort of out of breath 
Sounds like I interrupted him doing something really important. I tell him something's wrong. That Flora and Daya are messing themselves up. That they're starting to look like the people on the ship. I ask him what the hell was on the boat anyway. Did he know something that he didn't tell us? What the hell happened to the people? I don't want to know. Not really. But I do want my crewmates to stop sitting there caressing each other down to the bone. And he says he doesn't know anything. But he's still breathing funny. And there's this raspy sound behind his words. Just getting through the comms. And I don't want to know about that either. But I can't help it. And I ask him, what's going on? Finally, he says. It just feels so good, Dow. So fucking good. And I know we're all in trouble. I stay locked in the bunk for a day, waiting for it to start happening to me. Can't barely let any part of my body touch any other. I can barely touch anything at all. I'm so scared that if I do, I won't be able to stop. That it'll feel good. That I'll lose myself in just how good. That I'll end up running my hands over the blankets till I've just got stumps of wrists that I'll scrub the deck under my feet till they're gone. But it doesn't happen. And no one comes looking for me. I got hungry after the first day. No one had called on the comm either. For all I knew, I could be the only person on the ship. Except I knew I wasn't couldn't stay in there forever without water. So I opened the door a little, looked out. There was no one in the hall. I let myself hope it was over, that they'd snapped out of it. Or maybe they'd thought I was the crazy one. Hell, maybe I was. But I needed water, so I started for the galley. I got the whole way there without seeing anyone. Got water and some ration bars. Still didn't see anyone. I start to wonder if maybe I did lose it. Imagined all those things. And so I start towards the front of the ship. Just to see because maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I wanted to be wrong. I'm almost to navigation and I hear a sound. I will never forget that sound.
flashing of it. The hatch to the engine bay was open. I could have just gone by. Could have gone to Nav. Not looked. I didn't have to look. But I did. I... I don't know who they were. Who they had been when they started. I think there were three of them. Now... They were tangled together, writhing. Hands and arms and legs and torsos twisted around each other, rubbing over and under like a snake coiled around itself, all slick and red-gray and bright white, the deck under them glistening red. They never stopped moving. I don't really remember the rest of the trip. The wasp lady got back into port somehow. I must have flown her, must have docked her. I don't know. All of it's gone now. Drowned out in the sound of those bodies wearing death into each other. I... I don't know what happened to the ship either. I was in the hospital for a long time. It's... It's better now. Meds. Booze helps a lot. I sleep fine. Work. But I... I don't fly. And I won't. Not, not again. Don't know what happened. What made it happen to the Valentina Tereshkova, to the wasp lady. Don't know why it didn't happen to me. I do know that I'm not going out there again. That the black can stay out there and I'll stay in here. My feet on dirt. That the story you were hoping to hear. Because it's the only one you're getting out of me. Now, show me the proof of the rest of the transfer. Then buy me another drink. Hell, buy me a bottle and leave me to finish it in peace. No, no, no one else. No one else would want to hear it.
I don't know why you did. That's all there is. And now I'm not talking anymore. Aside from Dow Maddox, the crew of the Wasp Queen were pronounced dead on arrival at the Niffin spaceport. She herself suffered a fatal transport accident soon after this recording was made. Similar accidents befell the port staff who went aboard the ship. The Valentina Tereshkova has been declared a lost vessel. That should close the book on this incident. I don't think there will be any further problems. It would have, of course, been better had it not been stolen, but this does appear to be definitive proof that compound FRZJ23Z has uses far beyond the anticipated, and rather justify the expense taken in having the ship found and the loose ends tied up. Far more than had it simply been, as we thought, some sort of dopamine enhancer. The fact that the compulsive behaviors it induced completely overrode both pain and self-preservation in the subject's is of particular interest. And think of all the money saved in clinical trials. And here Gerard thought he'd simply made off with a brand new way to spice up his little vacation with his mistress. Well, one can hardly feel sorry for what happened to him. Intellectual property theft is a crime, and one might even say the consequences he suffered were perfectly commensurate. Though if Maddox's account can be believed, he likely didn't suffer at all. My recommendation is that this matter be closed and compound FRZ-J23Z's category be transferred from recreational to deployable and research resumed. End report, Product Recovery Agent 843, Exanic Pharmaceuticals. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Breathing Space, Fading Frontier. This episode, The Salvage of the Valentina Tereshkova, was written by Lisa Guente, directed by Lisa Guente, and edited by Eric Seguente. Dow Maddox was voiced by Izzy Trevalian. Exenic Pharmaceuticals agent was voiced by Sean Geddes. Our theme, Blues for the Black, was composed by Michael Freitag with vocals by Jeremiah and lyrics by Scott Paladin. You can find links to learn more about our cast and crew in the show notes and more information about our show at our website, breathingspace.lawofnames.com. Breathing Space Fading Frontier is a Law of Names production.